Osmium is a metal that knows how to make itself scarce. In the 1980s, NASA wanted to conduct spectroscopy in the extreme ultraviolet range, using instruments on board the space shuttle. Element 76 is one of the best materials for reflecting light in this highly energetic range, more than twice as good as gold or platinum. So the folks in charge of the mission sent up mirrors with a coating of pure osmium. And when they came back down, the osmium was gone. Like a lot of metals, pure osmium readily oxidizes when it comes in contact with the atmosphere. When it does, the most common product is OSO4, osmium tetroxide, a substance that is very interesting and highly volatile. In other words, it easily vaporizes. Really easily. Even hundreds of kilometers above the Earth, there was still enough oxygen to convert the osmium to the oxide, which drifted away on the whisper-thin breeze. It's not much easier to find back on the ground, either. Depending on how you measure it, osmium qualifies as the single rarest element on Earth. At least among the non-radioactive elements. Many of those don't exist anywhere in the natural universe at all. As far as we can tell. That makes life a little difficult for an element hunter, but maybe it's still for the best. If osmium were more plentiful on Earth, most people would probably go pretty far out of their way to avoid it. You're listening to The Episodic Table of Elements, and I'm T.R. Appleton. Each episode, we take a look at the fascinating true stories behind one element on the periodic table. Today, we're getting our grubby hands all over osmium. Does the name Smithson Tennant ring a bell? It's been a while since we've glanced in his direction. He and his friend William Hyde Wollaston ran a clandestine international platinum smuggling ring and refinery out of Wollaston's at-home secret laboratory. Their venture was so successful that for about 20 years they retained exclusive control over almost every milligram of platinum that reached English shores. And no one found out about it until his death. But we heard about all that 30 episodes ago. Besides, that's Wollaston's story. Tennant fronted some of the money, but after they figured out the purification process, he was relatively uninvolved with the day-to-day -day operation. He still kept pretty busy, though. One of the byproducts of their platinum work was a dark and insoluble residue. Conventional wisdom said that this was simply graphite, the same old carbon you can find in a pencil. Tennant thought there might be something more in there, though, so he grabbed Wollaston by the arm and made haste to the secret lab. They were spurred on by stiff competition from another twosome on the opposite side of the channel. Antoine François, Le Comte de Fourcroix, and Nicolas Louis Vauquelin. The French team succeeded in producing the new element's oxide first, but the English gents were the first to isolate the pure element. They had actually scored a twofer, 
elements 76 and 77. We'll stick a pin in the latter for now. There's not a ton of color variance among the metals of the periodic table. There's gold and copper, obviously, but beyond that, they tend to land somewhere on the spectrum from dull gray to shiny silver. So the slight tinge of blue displayed by osmium is enough to make it stand out. Holding a sample of osmium will reveal a far more noticeable property. It's incredibly heavy. It is, in fact, the densest metal of all. Actually, the densest of all the elements, or anything else on Earth, for that matter. Nothing can pack the atoms together quite as tightly as osmium. Technically, though, it's not the densest thing that's out there. In space, when a supergiant star reaches the end of its life, it can turn into a neutron star, a collection of material that is crushed so tightly together that at its very center it no longer makes sense to use terms like elements and atoms. Astronomers instead resort to calling the stuff degenerate matter and nuclear pasta. If you could somehow twirl yourself a forkful of nuclear pasta here on Earth, that small amount would weigh nine times as much as the Great Pyramid of Giza. Uh, uh, sorry, I forgot to move a decimal point there. It would actually have the same weight as 900 Great Pyramids of Giza. Much like regular pasta, the nuclear variety is best avoided if you're trying to lose a little weight. Osmium, meanwhile, has a density of around 22.6 kilograms per liter. That might sound piddly after all that stellar nonsense, but it's twice as dense as lead. Since the density of water is one kilogram per liter, that means a one liter bottle of osmium would weigh more than an office water cooler. While we are on the subject, I would be remiss in my duties as a science podcaster if I didn't point out a bit of a quirk. Kilograms are a measure of mass, not weight. Without getting too lost in the weeds, mass is a measure of how much stuff you have. A kilogram of osmium on Earth is the same as a kilogram of osmium on the moon, and both are the same as a kilogram of osmium floating in the inky black void of space. Weight, meanwhile, is a measure of the force imposed upon an object by gravity, and the standard unit of that force is called, appropriately enough, the Newton. Since gravity is effectively constant everywhere on Earth, and since most folks spend most of their time on Earth, we can casually express weight in terms of kilograms as shorthand without really causing a problem. So osmium is one hefty boy, but neither its feel nor its appearance struck Tenant the most. Those senses were overpowered by another. As he wrote, when the alkaline solution is first formed, a pungent and peculiar smell is immediately perceived. 
This smell, as I afterwards discovered, arises from the extrication of a very volatile metallic oxide. And as this smell is one of its more distinguishing characteristics, I should on that account incline to call the metal osmium. It's a straightforward etymology relating to the Greek word for scent or odor. The original word is relatively neutral, pertaining to good and bad smells alike. Contrast with bromine, which comes from the Greek word for stench. Unlike osmium's lexical forebear, however, this smell is pretty decidedly a bad thing. Aside from being just generally repugnant, similar to diesel oil according to one researcher, it's also extremely poisonous. The molecule easily binds with oils in our body, irritating the skin, nose, and throat. It'll also burn the eyes, but it won't stop there. It can also permanently stain the cornea, rendering a person blind. Even at concentrations too low to smell, roughly two parts per billion, it can damage the kidneys or cause a fatal buildup of fluid in the lungs. Smithson Tennant managed to avoid those perils. He died when a bridge collapsed while he was crossing it, so his fate was less like Gilbert Lewis's or Henri Moissan's and more like James Tiberius Kirk's. Still, it's rather nasty stuff, isn't it? And there's something depressingly predictable about a substance as hazardous as this. Somebody, somewhere, has considered using it as a weapon. The United Kingdom's Government Communications Headquarters, or GCHQ, is a sprawling and opaque intelligence-gathering organization that eavesdrops on internet traffic and telephone calls worldwide, roughly akin to the NSA in the United States. For more on that subject, see episode 68, Erbium. In 2004, the GCHQ declared that they had uncovered a terrorist conspiracy to use the chemical in a coordinated attack on London's subway network, Gatway airports, and shopping districts. An osmium treason and plot, if you will. ABC News reported, quote, Eight British citizens of Pakistani descent were arrested and taken into custody when 700 police raided 24 locations in and around London. None of those unnamed suspects actually possessed any osmium tetroxide, but people do tend to get pretty jumpy at the specific mention of an obscure and dangerous chemical like OSO4. In 2015, Royal Canadian Mounted Police arrested Christopher Phillips, a biochemical weapons specialist with possible mental health problems who was trafficking a suspicious package of hazardous chemicals after boasting about his plan to use them against the police. Or at least that's how he was described by media outlets from the CBC to Chemistry World, to the less esteemed Daily Mail. 
Phillips is a veteran who worked with osmium tetroxide during his time in the U.S. Navy, but biochemical weapons expert seems a bit of a stretch. Since that time, he earned degrees in law and medicine, and mainly worked as an ophthalmologist. The accusation against him was based on a private email he had written to a friend. That email is three pages long, so there's a lot to unpack, including his suggestion to unleash osmium tetroxide upon unwanted intruders in the home, especially if they happen to be police, and he recommended keeping it in a box labeled Osmium Tetroxide, a Billionaire's Weapon of Terror. However, he's also pretty explicit in mentioning that his supply of the chemical was a result of his professional work, and that his friend was one of the few people who might appreciate a sample of the unique substance. He advised storing it safely under thick borosilicate glass inside a stainless steel box that was to be screwed to a credenza. In explaining why he was doing any of this in the first place, he wrote, It is probably best for me to come up with a way to safely disperse of at least part of my stockpile of this little novelty chemical. Knowing my luck, it could be improperly misconstrued as actual evidence. Regarding the email itself, he wrote, Seeing as how this is a written document that could potentially be stored for perpetuity, I do wish to stress that the box will not be designed to be actually used as a weapon. He also expressed appreciation for the axe his friend kept under glass in case of, quote, zombie apocalypse. These days, the RCMP has more in common with the GCHQ than with Dudley Do-Right, but they didn't discover Philip's correspondence thanks to some comprehensive surveillance apparatus. It came to their attention after Philip's estranged wife forwarded them a copy of the email. The package, of which the police were suspicious, didn't actually include any hazardous chemicals, nor anything incriminating at all. And for what it's worth, according to Johns Hopkins University, more than one out of every four Americans deals with a diagnosable mental disorder in any given year. A 2014 paper published in the American Journal of Public Health showed that those diagnosed with a mental illness were more likely to be the victims of violent crime than perpetrators of it. Correlating mental illness with terrorism and murder is not only inaccurate, but injurious to everyone's well-being. The judge in Philip's case said that a reasonable person would not see menace in his email, and there was no other evidence to support the charges of uttering threats against the police and possessing a dangerous weapon. He was cleared of both charges, but only after spending five months in prison. The main point I'm trying to make is not about Christopher Phillips, nor the RCMP, nor the GCHQ. I mention these stories because if I am going to recommend that you provide personally identifying information over the internet in exchange for a dangerous substance to add to your eccentric collection, you should know that it carries certain risks that have nothing to do with chemistry. 
Refrain from making any flippant comments during the transaction and you should probably be fine, but you can avoid the trouble altogether by acquiring Osmium in one of its more inert forms. We have a few different options. Because Osmium tetroxide is attracted to the oils in human skin, it can be used to reveal fingerprints left behind at the scene of a crime. It hasn't actually been used for this purpose in decades, though, since the same thing can be achieved by safer means. If you can actually track down an Osmium-based fingerprinting kit, it would be something of a prize piece in your collection. Like other metals in the Platinum group, Osmium has been used for both the nibs of fountain pens and the balls of ballpoint pens, both of which need to be durable enough to be pressed against paper for miles at a time. Often this takes the form of an alloy with the next element on the periodic table, which has the satisfyingly smooth name Osmeridium. Lastly, there was a brief period of time when osmium was used for the tips of phonograph needles, for the same reason it's used in pens. That was basically just a fad, though. For a long time, it's been the standard to tip record needles with either diamond or sapphire. Outside of the jewelry business, the small amounts needed for this application are not very expensive at all. If you choose to go this route, you're practically guaranteed to be purchasing an artifact from a prior era with a distinct visual style. It would look quite fitting on a shelf next to that box of rhenium flashbulbs and that old tin can. Of course, for the discerning collector, only a sample of the pure thing will do. It's not difficult to find such a thing. Arc-melted beads of osmium pop up pretty regularly online. If you acquire one of these, or something similar, you'll need to store it carefully. Inside a sealed glass container would be best, preferably with secondary containment on top of that. Secure attachment to heavy furniture is purely optional. You'll also want to keep your sample in an inert environment like mineral oil or argon gas. If you don't, your osmium could eventually sublimate away, leaving you with naught but an invisible cloud of osmium tetroxide. After everything we've learned in this episode, I'm sure we can agree. That would almost certainly be an outcome best avoided. Thanks for listening to the Episodic Table of Elements. Music is by Kai Engel. To learn the difference between relative portion versus abundance, visit episodictable.com os. Next time, we'll send up a flare for Iridium. Until then, this is T.R. Appleton reminding you that it might not be fair, but the internet is forever. <laughs> <laughs>